0: From Studio 102, it's Hearts of Fire, the podcast for the team at BioBridge Global, working every day to save and enhance lives through the healing power of human cells and tissue as you have probably guessed i am not david king i am this week's guest host kimberly monroe and our very special guest today is bill bullock hey bill how you doing thank you for having me kimberly i'm happy that you're here and you are the specialized program coordinator with south texas blood and tissue donor recruitment okay so tell us a little bit about what exactly it is that you do
1: absolutely um I was fortunate enough to join in uh, March of last year, um, and I have two uh, forms of employment. I also work with the San Antonio Fire Department, and I'm a paramedic supervisor um, in that capacity. And one of the duties that I have is uh, pre-hospital blood transfusions. And uh, in the course of of helping design and build that program, I got to meet many just tremendous team members from South Texas Blood and Tissue. And I'm legitimate and genuine when I say they had this passion for their job and the energy that surrounded everyone that works here you know daniel de Leon and and belinda flores chris turner Rosalva. i've run into so many different folks all, all the way to adrian and elizabeth originally was just incredibly positive and, and i i said to myself those people like love their job i i would love to be part of that aspect of the program so um i just kind of just kept uh, hounding Adrienne, and was like, I, I really want to get involved, and uh, she was, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, kind enough to to take me on, and it's been a great, just tremendous opportunity ever since I started.
0: Awesome, that that's so cool. I'm a, I'm a person who loves it when two of my passions can kind of come together. And I've had that experience both here since I've been at South Texas almost five years and in previous jobs. So I think that's so cool when it kind of all aligns. So you got connected to the organization through your work at San Antonio Fire Department. And what programs specifically do you work under
1: here at South Texas? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, c- kind of a different, couple different uh, opportunities that I have, but the Heroes in Arms program is mm-hmm. my main focus, um, and that's kind of a wide umbrella. You know, t- technically that's a term that we we use uh, or a grouping we give to the donors mm-hmm. that donate uh, low titer O positive blood. Um, that's placed on area ambulances and uh, helicopters, medical helicopters, as well as to the local trauma center, university hospital. But uh, very exclusive group. Mm-hmm. Um, and that blood is is transfused right at the scene of a major automobile accident um, you know maybe some sort of other traumatic industrial event uh, a shooting a stabbing uh, a mother in labor with Mm -hmm. complications a whole variety of reasons why people are are basically in hemorrhagic shock Um, a little background if if you don't mind sure for for years in EMS we uh, only had saline uh, to donate uh, for people in hemorrhagic shock and and that's just medical talk for water honestly and the problem with that process was we were diluting the blood that the patient had Um, we were slowing down clotting uh, and saline doesn't have any oxygen carrying capability so it was we were filling the tank up but we weren't putting the right thing in basically so um, when the low titer whole blood program came out my fellow colleagues at the San Antonio Fire Department were literally in shock and awe of how profound the changes were with the patients. Like it was nothing that I've seen in my twenty-two years uh, on the ambulance, and and um, that's led to a whole lot of other uh, opportunities where we've we've spread the Heroes in Arms program or that concept through various. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, blood centers and EMS agencies throughout the nation. It's, it's been organically happening, mm-hmm. so it's taken time, but um, all of the executives have embraced the proliferation of the program, which is awesome.
0: That's amazing. So um, for those of us who may not understand why using low titer blood is important, can you give an explanation for folks about what that means and why that's important to the program?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm sure Dr. Bedard or Dr. Gomez can give a, a technical answer, but for the, for the regular folks out there, um, I kind of think of the, the uh, um, O-type blood on, uh, on a, a, a pendulum, if you will, and of course O-negative is your universal donor, but it's a very small fraction of our total donors out there, about 7% of the blood supply. So there's just not enough O-negative uh, for the demands that the pre-hospital and trauma center needs. Um, so we go into the O positive region and you have slightly positive and, and really, really positive. And, and, in, and the, how it's been explained to me is those are the numbers of antibodies and antigens that we have. And, uh, we're looking for those that have a, a little bit, uh, the lower numbers because you'll have less negative effects. Uh, and we call it an emergency transfusion or crash transfusion and kind of in the, in the EMS setting. Um, There's an unofficial uh, number. uh, 256 is the tighter level to be considered high or low. we use that that number um, from industry standards, and that's what the military uses. So we, there's a couple groups that have that have come together for that. It's not a universal or national number. Some uh, blood centers u- use a different number, but that, that's what uh, Dr. Bedard and Dr. Gomez are, are comfortable with. So um, we're looking for those O positive donors whose titer levels are below 256.
0: Gotcha. And my understanding is that when the program first started, it was limited to male donors only. and has recently been opened up to female donors. Can you give an explanation of why that change was made?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Once again, this is going to be the the layperson uh, talk, but uh, we wanted to have ladies join so that we could increase the donor base. I'll just be honest in that regard. Um, And uh, previously, though, there are some other medical complications that can come from uh, the, the female donors, in regards to uh, HLA numbers and Rh um, uh, conversion, that typically are associated with previous pregnancies. Um, so, in the beginning, I think we just took small steps with the males. We knew that was the where where we could draw from, um, but you know just really trying to improve the program. Uh, you know, they, they did an analysis and said, we, we need to have ladies join this. So that that started in January of 2023. Uh, and I think George Broomfield's wife was one of the first donors there uh, on that day.
0: That's amazing. And I love it when, you know, it's our own folks here within the organization or their family members that get to participate in, in
1: these programs. That's awesome you have some tremendous loyalty with your donors Mm -hmm. um yeah i think a really interesting fact um that that uh jim latimer uh uh, revealed to me was that uh typically donors uh, through South Texas Blood and Tissue will come in one and a half times a year. That's kind of the, the standard schedule for donations. And your heels and arms donors are well over two, two and a half times a year. So they're coming more frequently. Wow. Um, which there's just a, a real sense of loyalty, I think.
0: that's That's awesome to have folks that understand that they are part of a very small, unique population that can do tremendous things for their local community, that they're so committed that they show up, um, it looks like, almost double the amount of a normal donor. So that's that's amazing.
1: Yeah, I've had donors say to me, oh, I know my blood might be on that ambulance or on that helicopter when they see it around town. And I, I yeah, I think that that uh, intimate connection is, mm-hmm. is pretty, pretty neat. Nice.
0: Um, so tell me when it comes to making this all happen, there are a lot of agencies involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about what were the challenges in pulling all of the agencies together to make a program like this happen?
1: Hey, you hit the nail on the head. That that really is the, the kind of uh, complexity for difficulties of uh, the proliferation throughout the nation. The blood supplier has to be willing to supply you with with the blood. In this case, South Texas Blood and Tissue and Dr. Gomez really took, uh, for lack of a better word, a risk. They were out on the can I say bleeding edge? You know, they were right out on the edge, and uh, and and said, "This is medically sound. We can save lives. We need to try to make this happen." Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Elizabeth was a huge champion of it in the beginning, and, and Adrian has, has just you know, it's it's exploded. Um, but so you have to have your blood center, and then you have to have your EMS agency uh, be willing to uh, accept uh, pr- process changes. Basically, uh, there's always some inherent liability, mm-hmm. um, and then of course there's costs uh, that, that the EMS agency is going to have to assume that. Um, and, and the truth is, your trauma center, the people receiving the patients, they also have to be, uh, you know, in agreement that this is this is sound practice. Um, you know, I kind of think it's common knowledge a lot of the time, but I'll just rehash it that the low titer or blood that's drawn has a 35-day shelf life. And um, of course, in day one or two, it goes through its testing and so forth. Um, and those folks are sensational and they can turn that over very quickly and then then it gets over to the hospital services uh, division that's where, how i know daniel so well because we see each other often mm-hmm. um but at that point on day two or three it ends up on an ambulance or a helicopter um, and it stays with the ems providers for about two weeks um, so then on day 17 it comes back to south texas blood and tissue and it goes through an, another small vetting process and it actually gets rerouted then over to the local trauma center, and the rotation system for all these individuals to work together, the trust that's required, uh, the logistics—you know, there's there's some lifting that goes on there. Um, but we're super proud to say that it's resulted in a waste ratio of less than one percent. Wow! So almost guaranteed that any Heroes in Arms donation is either going to be transfused on an ambulance, helicopter or at the trauma center hospital.
0: That is really remarkable. And so that, that donor can have confidence when they're going into that appointment that their gift is going to be utilized and it won't be wasted, essentially.
1: You got it. We've had some sensational uh, data come through too. Once again, I credit Jim Latimer. He's the data guru. Yeah, but, he is. Uh, <laughs> Since the program started in 2018, the show rates for the Heroes in Arms donors have been really strong, uh, at times over 90%. Um, COVID kind of threw a wrinkle into some things, but, um, you know, just, just really remarkable that when these folks set appointments, they're going to show up. That's amazing. So tell me a little bit about
0: if a program like this did not exist, what difference does that make in the, the survival rate or um, the outcomes potentially for someone who's had a traumatic event that would require um, this type of
1: in, uh, transfusion? Right, uh, it's catastrophic, honestly, and and it's what EMS providers had to deal with um, uh, for, for uh, up until two thousand eighteen. Um, Our options are very limited we can give some medications that can slow the bleeding and can can uh, uh, speed up the clotting process but once the blood is outside of the patient we there's no replacement so we did use saline uh, and it was kind of a balancing act and to, to be honest for years EMS worked under the the theory uh, we need to just, just replace that fluid, and, and and we learn, you know, you medicine, medicine's a practice. We we overloaded them with saline, and we diluted their blood so much that it was no longer ineffective. Um, and and uh, we, we did learn, so we started to give less saline and do things like Trendelenburg position, where their feet are up, and you use gravity to keep what blood they have to the vital organs, which would be the heart and the brain and the kidneys and so forth. Um but our hands were really tied for a really long time so the result was was not really not great patient outcomes um so um, you can rest assured that when you go on vacation or something it is spreading throughout the nation you know I can throw a lot of love out there to our friends uh, in Oklahoma City and 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 uh, in Austin and New Orleans um, a lot of Florida a whole lot of Florida has, has pre-hospital whole blood so it's out there but I know every time when I leave and I come back into San Antonio driving or flying always a little bit of reassurance uh, and it's not just San Antonio this is really proliferated all through South Texas. If you're traveling anywhere in South Texas, basically anywhere where South Texas Blood and Tissue, are South, yeah, South, South Texas Blood Tissue is a supplier. Mm-hmm. An EMS agency in in our region has blood uh, in some capacity. The rural areas are a little bit harder.
0: Gotcha. Wow. Uh, so to I, know that what we're doing here is having such an impact, not just you know southern in our state and in our region, but to know that ripple effect is happening throughout the country. That's that's pretty awesome.
1: It 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 really is. I know Audrey Taylor's phone rings off the hook because people want to know how do you do this that. Because there's a, a lot of logistics, and you um, a lot of you need to establish those processes and procedures, redundancies, so that uh, there's you know safety involved with all of it.
0: Sure. All right. So, um, Bill, tell me, um, you still work for the San Antonio Fire Department, and what's your role there?
1: So, I'm an EMS supervisor. Supervisor, you, you would maybe see my truck around town. It, it looks kind of like a pickup with a extended bed with a lot of equipment and so forth. Um, I supervise nine ambulances on the west side of town uh, from downtown kind of in a pie wedge out highway 90 and then towards SeaWorld and that part of the city. Um, so there's six of, of, the, of these individuals throughout the city, 24 hours a day. Um, we each carry one unit of low or whole blood Um, And then we have two ambulances that we call our medical special operations units, and uh, those are standard ambulances that make your everyday call chest pain and and strokes and things like that, but they also have additional training and equipment uh, for uh, high acuity kind of danger calls, and they have blood as well. Um, those ambulances would accompany SAPD like on Mm high-risk warrants and things like that or if you have maybe a barricaded subject or a hostage or something like that Um, and the city's very gracious we extend those services to the DEA and the ATF and we'll even go to the Rio Grande uh, Valley if needed you know on a limited basis but to provide uh, EMS services and and the blood on really high risk type things so a lot of a lot of things working behind the scenes to give the citizens some reassurance um, I can tell you that Daniel De Leon came up with a tremendous idea he and Belinda there um, that in some of our largest events in 2023 like Fiesta 2023 uh, the Pride Parade which took place earlier in the year well large uh, uh, gatherings of people we pre-positioned large volumes of blood in coolers so it was kept in the right temperature but near those events that way if something was to happen uh, a disaster catastrophic mass casualty event we had the blood with the ems uh, professionals right there at at the scene because a lot of data says that if you give the blood right where it happened versus, you know, time is the enemy is what we say. Sure. Uh, So a lot of great forward thinking from the hospital services team.
0: That's amazing. And for you to sort of be, um, The connector, you know, to to have your fire services background and your paramedic background merged with your experience here and the connections that you've made. It's amazing when great people get together. That's where phenomenal ideas are born. Um, Fun fact, um, I'm a firefighter's kid. My dad's a retired firefighter. And his firehouse when I was a little kid probably elementary school up through middle school. They still had a fire dog. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a uh, uh, um, you know, Dalmatian. His name was Snoopy, interestingly enough. I just wanted to throw that out, out there because That's great. I don't know how many firehouses in the 80s had fire dogs, but my right. dad's house did. And so um, do you cook at your station?
1: We do cook. No, we, do you? Not we. Oh, do
0: you cook? Do at- <laughs> I cook?
1: Um, I cook on Sundays when okay. I cook because Monday through Friday is pretty busy. I, I do uh ops like i'm out there making calls but i have some administrative duties also so yes i i do cook um but usually weekends weekends are my days, and they like that because then they can watch football or play ah, basketball while you make the thing. meal. Yeah, exactly.
0: Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah, I we used to conveniently drop by the station on our bikes when I was a kid to see what's for dinner. That's correct. Yeah, or and, dessert, and, or dessert. <laughs> right. And my brother is actually a firefighter as well, and he also went to culinary school. So they love it when oh. he cooks at his station. Let me tell you. Um, so what do you do when you're not either here at South Texas or at SAPD or SAPD, S A Fire Department? Um, Saving
1: lives, what are you up to in your spare time? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I've got a a beautiful wife of 24 years. Um, I out kicked the coverage there, but I'll own it. Um, I've got three kiddos one that is a senior at Texas Tech, and uh, two in high school. Um, so a lot of time with them and their events. Um, my son played played high school football, my daughters are are high school soccer players, so you know, the shuttling and the (laughs) cheering and, and all that. Um, I enjoy soccer. I missed I missed out on on joining up with the Bloodhounds, but maybe we'll get it done uh, at the next next uh, session or whatever. And I like to fish um, that that you know a little bit, and um, uh, I'm finishing. I tomorrow. I finish graduate school, which is nice, so I, I can check that box and be done with it.
0: That uh, is amazing. Congratulations! Thank you. Wow, yeah. what an accomplishment. So the better question is, when do you sleep? <laughs> it sounds like you do everything. My goodness. Um, well, thank you so much for coming by. This was just such an awesome conversation. It was good to learn so much about you and so much more about the program. Um, and my hope is that it will only continue to grow and we can do what we do here, which is enhance and save lives. So thanks for coming by. Um, the executive producers of the Hearts of Fire podcast are Adrian Mendoza and Jay Paginski. Today's director was David King with technical assistance from Matt Flores. The Hearts of Fire logo was designed by Roberto Escoville. And if you have an idea for the Hearts of Fire podcast, or if you would like to be a guest host like me, um, or if you want to be on the podcast, reach out to the Hearts of Fire team at heartsoffire at biobridgeglobal.org. Thanks for listening. Bye.